We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Taxi squad stashes for Dynasty Fantasy Football. Taxi squads are non-active roster spots that you could store players on until they develop. My guest is Scott Connor from Destination Devi and the popular YouTube channel Trades in 5. We talk about players you're going to get in the third to fifth round of your rookie Dynasty drafts. Scott Connor is one of the leading voices in the Dynasty and Devi space who specializes in Dynasty process and strategy. I'm confident that you're going to enjoy this wide-ranging conversation about dynasty strategy, rookie draft stashes, and players that you could put on your taxi squad in order to gain an edge in your dynasty leagues. The Rotowire Dynasty Podcast is brought to you by Circa Las Vegas. Today on the Rotowire Dynasty Podcast, I want to talk about taxi squad stashes. And this is a topic that uh, internally, Scott, that I, I got a lot of pushback on. They're like, who, who, who even knows about this? I said, if you're watching a Dynasty podcast, right, in the May time frame, I don't care if, if, the, if this isn't like the top 12 sleepers. Like, this is something, this is actionable advice. And, of course, I'm here with Scott Connor from Destination Devi and the very popular Trades in 5 YouTube show, which you know, I've become addicted to. Um, Scott, let's just start with some of the basics here. Uh, if you Explain it to like you were explaining to my grandmother. What's a taxi squad for those who aren't familiar in the Dynasty world? Yeah, good question. So a taxi squad, I'll just say this, uh, a taxi squad has its purpose, uh, but I think you need to have the right kind of league for a taxi squad to begin with. Um, I'm in some leagues where there are taxi squads and you go, why is there a taxi squad? You know, because there's 42 man rosters already. And it's kind of like the taxi squad. I think people like to have it to say, oh, they're stashing someone down there. They don't have to count on their actual roster. Effectively, it's just another place to keep players that maybe you feel like, hey, I'm, I'm developing them a little bit because they're down in this little area that says TX or taxi or, you know, whatever it's called in your platform. Um, but really, it's just a, a place where you can put assets. They don't count towards your roster space. They don't count towards your potential points. If you like that, that's another thing that uh, the taxi squad has helped me over the years. Uh, if you have a potential points league for people that don't know that a lot of leagues do draft order based on the potential points. So it's how many points you would have scored, which is a, I guess you would say a better measure of whether your team was good or not, uh, but you can hide players on the taxi squad because they're exempt. They don't count. Uh, so I've Alan, I've seen it. I've seen the Jamar chases and the breeze halls on the taxi squad because you know what? I want to get next year's 101 and those guys are going to score too many points, but I had last year's 101 and the year before is 101 and I don't want them to count. So people put them on the taxi squad. But other than that, it's extra roster spots. Uh, if I do a roster review for trades in five and there's a taxi squad, I just add it to the total roster spots. Like yeah. effectively, unless it's rookies only, a lot of taxi squads are like second and first year players. It, they're really just extra roster spots. The way fantasy football is now, you don't hold players for more than two years. If you don't know what they are in two years, you're probably in the clouds in terms of what they are because they're nothing. Yeah, and you know that'll lead into our conversation later about tight ends too because you always hear tight ends are a year three breakout. So, And we're going to talk about what types of players belong on a taxi squad and which ones as, you know, I... I you said it so eloquently on a video, which ones are basically lighting those picks on fire. Um, the... 
what I think, though, that the purpose of a taxi squad is, is that there's, if you don't, if, yes, if you have a 40-man roster, taxi squad, probably not necessary, but anywhere in the 25 to 30-ish range, I think there is a case for it because it makes those third, fourth, and fifth round rookie picks worth something because if you don't, if you have a 20, you know, like FFPC, you know, you have to cut down to 16, those third and fourth round picks, they're more just throwing chips. I mean, it's so rare you're going to, only one person in your league is going to hit on Elijah Mitchell. Most of them are going to be, you know, some wide receiver taken on day three that you're basically going to discard. Yeah, I mean, I think the format is huge. That's why I said it the beginning if your league if it makes sense to have a taxi squad i've started to play a lot more best ball dynasty taxi squads and best ball are players you can put on your taxi but running backs that are third or fourth on the depth chart tight ends that are developmental players you probably wouldn't want to hold those in a best ball league because in best ball you're trying to find as many players that can play weekly that fourth running back or that third string tight end that you're trying to develop probably wouldn't be a good best ball play unless there's a taxi where it's not counting towards your active roster spots and you can intentionally park some players there to say, okay, I don't really need these players, but I want to have them there for a reason. And then the other thing is I'm in some leagues where you can actually poach people's taxi squad players Mm. where like, Hey, uh, there's a preconceived price on all the players based on where they were drafted or where their ADP was, whatever you set it up to be. It's usually a little cost prohibitive, but hey, if you have a guy on your taxi and you took him in the fourth round and I'm willing to pay two thirds or a second or something, I can take him off your taxi. Now you can reclaim them just like the real NFL. Wow. The biggest thing is the NFL has to put them on their 53 man roster. They probably had them on the practice squad for a reason. They didn't want to count a roster spot. So it's the same thing. So there's a bunch of ways you can incorporate it. Uh, but I think what you're saying is correct. If you have a league where Every roster spot is precious. It's a way where you can feel like you're developing some players without feeling like, man, if this sixth round pick doesn't perform right away, I don't have a reason to roster them anymore. Right. And the Rotowire Dynasty podcast, as always, is brought to you by Circa Las Vegas. We're going to talk about them and the amazing fantasy football hosting that they're going to be doing a little bit later on the show. And I'm here with Scott Connor, and we're talking about taxi squad stashes. And we're going to give you a few player names a little bit later on, but I want to rewind this a little bit because this is uh, rookie draft season. This is dynasty startup season. And, you know, I've had this discussion, and I'm not even sure there's a right answer. I'm just curious about structurally. Is it, let's just talk about a super flex league. Yes, or a small premium on tight ends. What do you believe is the correct way to, or the the most optimal way to draft a roster in a startup scenario where all the players are available for you? We're talking about a snake draft. How do you do it? So, quick plug to um, I did release a destination Devi episode back in the beginning of actually I think end of February. And it was literally titled My Ideal Way to Do a Startup. I'll link that once I post this in the video okay. description. So if you're listening on the audio podcast or on the replay, it's already in the video description for you to check it out. Perfect. Yeah. And that just kind of goes through like if I was doing a startup. Now, this was back in February. And part of the strategy was in January or February when a lot of people like to do startups because the season just ended. Yeah, that's the. don't you think that's the best time to do them? Because everyone is flying blind. There's so much we don't know. There's so much that's going to change. And part of the reason I like to do it then is because I think if you have the right structure and the right approach, that's the edge. The edge is not picking the right players because 80% of the situations and players change by the time mm-hmm. we go from January to opening day of the next season. So it's like everyone else goes into it and goes, ah, man, I'm going to just kind of chase the players that I like, the players I think are going to get better, the players that have situations that are good in February, and then they're completely blown up by the time you get to July. I go into it going, I'm just chasing a structure. Forget about who the players are. And because of the way the current player pool is set up right now in Dynasty, once you get to like a certain point where the really, really elite players are gone and all the top quarterbacks are gone, All the other running backs and receivers and even a lot of the QB2s and low-end, high-end QB3s, they're all in just one big jumbled mix. Right. Nobody really wants to pay a premium for them, but you also know by the time you get to the season, you have to have enough of them to compete. So I'm looking at that range as like, if I'm doing a startup, especially before free agency, before the NFL draft, it's a little different now because there's less variance that's going to take place between now and the start of the season, but... It's like, I want to lock in my elite quarterbacks. 
I want to lock in the positional advantages based on the format. So if I can squeeze out getting an elite tight end, I'll do that. Maybe I'll shoot for an anchor running back, but mm-hmm. that's pretty much it. I'm willing to trade out of the, I'll give you my third round pick and I'll take a shot on a sixth round pick. Right. Cause, Cause really, if you're, if same, we're both picking right. a receiver, there's a shot. I have the better guy just based on variance. And so what I like to do is I like to say, okay, we're doing a snake draft. I try to trade up and get another top 10 uh, startup pick. So I can draft two elite quarterbacks, top nine, depending on whatever your tiers are. Forget, you know, however you tier lock in those two quarterbacks. I'm willing to pay second, third, fifth round startup pick to trade up to give me that first. I'm, I'm okay. Getting out of that, like second, third, fourth round, but I have to get picks back. There's two rules. I say in a startup, don't trade more picks than you're getting back. And don't trade your future picks unless it's one for one for a startup pick. So, so I just want to make sure I understand what you just said. So if you're basically don't get an extra one and you're giving up your third, fifth, and eighth, right? Like you want to, I mean, that would be an extra. You want, even if they're later picks, you want more startup picks back, especially in these leagues that are starting three receivers, three flex, and you know, you just need Ex- depth. Exactly. Let's okay. say it's a league we're doing 11 starters. I'm actually comfortable going back to the 10th, 11th, 12th, even 13th round. Cause once you get into that range, you're not really losing much against the person that's picking in the eighth round, ninth round, they get to pick their preference. You probably get a player in the same tier. So let's say I give you a second, a third and a fifth round startup pick. I get back your first, let's say you give me the one Oh six. Perfect. I'm sitting on getting Trevor Lawrence or Justin Herbert or Joe Burrow. And I already drew the one Oh four. So I'm getting two of those guys. Mm. That's awesome. That's my start. But I don't want to just give you that two, three, and five for your one. I give you give me back your eighth and your eleventh, or your ninth and your tenth, or something. You got to get it to where it's an even match. So that's the first step. That's the first thing I try to do, and it depends on your league. I've been in leagues where ten other people are trying to do that. You can't do it. So then, what do you do? Uh, that's what I'm saying. Because you remember the year that everyone was trying to do zero running back after Siegel won the whole damn thing, uh, and then I was taking like Eric Decker in round two when he was a six round pick because I needed three <laughs> receivers. So if you do notice everyone's doing it, is there a counter to that? I think if there's a counter to it, it's essentially you know what the board's going to look like. It's going to go QB, 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 QB. I mean, it's just going to be like. Nine straight QBs to start the startup. No one's going to be willing to trade those. You have to shift your roster construction to that point. To my next plan of action, even if I don't get that done, is those dead zone ranges, right? The third, fourth, fifth, sixth round. Can I get what's called a leverage trade in one of those ranges? So let's say I trade. Let's say I do make the trade, just for this example. I give up my second, my third, and my fifth round startup pick. You give me back your first, your ninth, and your tenth. So now I have an extra ninth and a tenth. I have those stashed away, but I still have that fourth rounder. Unless I can get a elite running back or tight end there where I can say that's an anchor for that position, most likely in the fourth round of the startup, I'm not getting that. Mm. So what I'm trying to do next is how can I double insure myself for if I miss out on a lot of these skill players because my quarterbacks are locked down. I'm going to have to be picking kind of at the back end of the preferred skill player ranges because I've traded out of the second, the third, and the fifth. I immediately go and take my fourth round pick. I offer it to Allen because Allen really needs to draft J.K. Dobbins. He needs him, right? That's my guy. Give Give me back your 24 first rounder and your eighth round startup pick. Can I get a deal like that? And now I have an extra first rounder banked. Because I know next year, guess what? I'm probably going to need to fill a couple receivers and or running backs because I didn't hit on like the perfect players this early in the startup. So I want to leave the rookie draft or the startup draft with at least two future firsts. Hmm. That's it. If I can get the two elite quarterbacks and I can build up two extra first round picks, I feel like there's very little pressure for me to a win year one, but I've had teams that win year one because it go, wow, man, the, the receiver you took in round seven, eight, and nine were just as good as the ones Allen took in round three, four, and five. Right. Jerry How Judy did that versus, happen? Jerry Judy versus Brandon Ayuk, you know, in a startup the year, Jerry Judy, you know, but they were both rookies, you know, exactly. I mean? Exactly. Yeah. So like when you're picking receivers, especially like it's a coin flip. So I'm willing to take the gamble there. But the biggest thing I have is I don't have to worry about quarterback. There's no worse feeling 
then when you have a middling team and you're stuck at the 106 in the rookie draft and you desperately want to try to get Bryce Young or Anthony Richardson and the person in that slot is probably like, yeah, you know, you're going to have to pay a serious premium to do it. And then you give up all this equity that you kind of stored in the startup just to get a rookie quarterback where you know you're already taking a ton of risk. So I don't want to do that. But I think the biggest thing is, Alan, if I go to year two and year three of a league, if all I need to do is find receivers and running backs, that's easy. They exist in every draft. They're always available. Now, you may not want to pay the price, but I can always go buy a guy like DJ Moore, Jerry Judy, Brandon Ayuk. Those guys are available for a future first some form or fashion of that type of player, always available running backs. I can always draft or trade for running backs. So it's like, if all I have is picks and I just need to get skill players by time year two or three comes around, as long as my quarterbacks don't suffer like a, you know, a Watson situation or a career ending injury, like I'm going to be in really good shape and I may have my cake and eat it too. Cause I can potentially win in year one, just how, depending on how the variance goes my way or against me. Yeah, no, this is very validating for me because, uh, you know, I did this a couple of years ago, the strategy, and I had it somehow at the time I had Pat Mahomes and Josh Allen in a particular league. So, you know, my team kind of flamed out, but I was still like almost made the playoffs. Like that was my absolute floor. Do, I mean, do you still have that team? Still have the team. And doesn't that team feel like there's very little pressure for you to have to do much except for just acquire like skill player talent whenever it comes available? I'm, a, yeah, I'm about to uh, validate what you just said. I had pick one. I Somehow I ended up at pick 110 in the rookie draft. And somebody had a hard on for uh, Jordan Addison who fell. And I got like th- two two receivers out of it. I got like DJ Moore and who was in like a Brandon Ayuk type right into my starting lineup. Now we're talking. Now I'm a playoff yep. team automatically where Jordan Addison or Zay Flowers. Are, I mean, we like them, but who knows, right? I, I mean, and again, sexy name, DJ Moore and Brandon Ayuk, those aren't sexy names, but in a start 11, start 12, they're in your lineup every week. And mm-hmm. what's the worst thing about wide receivers that aren't elite guys at the top is that if they have two bad weeks, Scott, we just never know whether to start. I mean, Brandon Ayuk in a normal start three with one flex comes out and has three for 30, two for 28. We're putting him on our bench, and he's probably going to go off on our bench there. But when you, when, when the depth is bigger in these dynasty startup leagues, it's like every week. Don't worry, you'll get your points at the end of the year, and you know that's really the balance between running backs and wide receivers. So that really is the next uh, question I have for you: Is what do you think in the startup draft uh, is the biggest mistake, the most common mistake that even experienced dynasty players continue to make? I think it goes back to what I said that there is not a higher negative EV move than when you just give away your first just to make a pick preference on a player. First rookie and, or first startup? No, your first round rookie pick in a future year mm. just to move up. Mm. Now, if you get the pick straight up, if you're in the fifth round of the startup and somebody happens to go, hey, I'll trade this pick for a future first, and you know it's a player where you go, all right, I could probably squint and say it's worth paying a future first for this player in a dynasty league i I can be okay with doing that now i would still even say if you're doing that in february or march be careful because why are you you may love brandon Ayuk. we've talked about him a couple times already in the show you may love him you may think you know what this is a guy that could be really good with brock purdy because he was last year and could be even better if he f- somehow finds a new situation, if the Niners don't keep him. Like, his best game could be ahead of him, right? right. He's worth maybe buying for a first-round pick. But it also feels like if you're spending your first on that, doesn't it feel like you might be leaving a little opportunity cost <laughs> yeah. on the table by using that in February to buy a wide receiver three that maybe could be a wide receiver two when, man, have you ever been in a league and it's middle of the season and you go, damn, this person's willing to trade this uh, Derrick Henry that's scoring 23 points per game. All he wants is a first. And I don't have one, but the guy that has multiples can go, hey, here you go. I got an extra one. So it it feels like that. It's a good move. I don't love it, though, because you've given away your one chip that everybody gets every year at the worst time, the time when we don't know anything, the time when they could draft another receiver, he could get hurt. All these things could happen. So that's bad, but the worst thing is I need to go get Drake London. So I'm going to give you Brandon Ayuk and a first so I can draft Drake London in the startup, and that's the anti-leverage trade. You're going to lose those trades eight out of ten times. 
And those are the ones I want to be on the other side of. So I think that's the worst move. Yeah, you talked about what um, we often talk about the dynasty calendar over on the Rotowire, like uh, YouTube page and the um, in in our site and everything. And people always ask one of the most common questions, like last year, right, heading into the season, was what should I get for Dalvin Cook? I said, don't trade him until he has that hundred yard and two touchdown game in week six. You know, and you know when you look at the twenty seven year old running backs, it's the same thing. Wait to Derrick Henry is going to be a good example this year. Don't trade Derrick Henry now if you have him wait until if you're a bad team unless it's a mega deal wait till he has two 100 yard games in a row with multiple touchdowns you'll get your two first you'll whatever it is you'll you'll get that young player plus so uh, I think that's also an underrated part of uh, of dynasty strategy is when to sell the player when to sell the veterans when the rookie pick r- rookie picks are worth the most um, injury discounts in startups I mean, I, I have, have adopted a philosophy of fading injury optimism is always going to make you money in fantasy football. I'm going to be wrong. I faded Joe Burrow coming off the injury. Got it wrong. How about Javante Williams? That seems to be one of the questions um, that people are asking now. Like, oh, my God. You know, in in redraft, I see Javante going in best balls. Obviously, I would never even touch him with all the bad news. But are you willing to go in on players like that? that have serious injury questions, even though they're young players, when they come at a couple round discount in startups? So Javante specifically, mm-hmm. it's funny you say he's young because you look at a running back and you go, he's in entering year three coming off a shredded knee. To me, that's not a young running back. Like it's from an age perspective, but more importantly from like a dynasty track perspective. A mileage. I, <laughs> a <laughs> mileage perspective, yeah. And <laughs> And here's the thing. Unfortunately for Javante Williams, and I said this about J.K. Dobbins and Cam Akers, and we'll see about Brees Hall, but when these guys get hurt, either in their rookie year or Akers, Dobbins, Javante, right at the beginning or right before their second year, that that is almost the death knell for their dynasty value. They may still outperform that, but that like year two and year three, when you've shown you've had a good rookie year and you had pedigree at running back, that is the magic window for running backs. Once they get to year four, year five, starting to talk second contracts, too much mileage, all that kind of stuff, we already know the the decline in the dynasty value is going to be there. And now it's more of can they just outperform their value for longer, which is why you'd want to buy them. But there's no buying them for an investment. So the injury for Javante came at the worst time. Then it happened to be an even more serious injury with another guy that got injured at the same time, a.k.a. Dobbins, that had to have a second surgery, basically miss half the season. So I, I'm just not interested in that type of player because the other thing is if you look back at Javante's first, what do we say, a year and half a season, mm-hmm. fought three games, something like that. I think he got hurt in the third game, second or third game last year. He really hasn't even been that good. He's been pretty inefficient. So I feel like I'm buying a a plotter, a dead zone running back. And that's if he gets back and healthy. And I don't know if there's ever going to be like a resale value where I can go, okay, I get him at fifth round startup price or sixth round startup price. And then I can resell him for more because he's a running back. And a lot of people just, unless you are an elite running back, smart dynasty players are going, man, do you really want to give your first for Javante Williams when you can fill in with, multiple Chuba Hubbards and Rashad Pennies and probably get close to the same production if you have the right roster construction and enough roster spots to house that many players. So just, he wouldn't be a guy I would buy unless I saw a track where I could resell for more, but I don't even see that with him. So no, I'm with you. I'm fading the injury discounts. Let somebody else bet on that outcome and, you know, well, play the numbers. Yeah. It's a, you know, you hear, uh, this is an argument I have internally at Rotowire all the time that, you know, they, it's 10 months till they return to play. I said, eh, it's a year and a half before they're back to normal. And back to normal, there's a new normal. Brees Hall, there's probably a chance he's only 90%, 85% if he has a full recovery. And by the way, that's great. But it's not worth second round redraft. And certainly in Dynasty, I, I mean... I've seen him as ranked as high as the RB two now. I mean, you know, we're in Bijan, we're in Bijan's world, and you know, let's let's just remember that. But um, I guess for that, that's the next question. Then is uh, where would you rank Brees Hall? And that doesn't mean that you would necessarily draft him in the second round, but where do you rank him among dynasty running backs? And is is Bijan Robinson your RB one for dynasty? Yeah, Bijan's RB one. 
after that, you're probably like, okay, I have to rank somebody at RB2. So it's probably either Brees Hall, Jameer Gibbs, or Jonathan Taylor. And then it's how much tolerance do you have for Christian McCaffrey, Saquon Barkley, Austin Eckler, the the difference makers, the if you're a baseball fan, the wins above replacement or the warp difference makers, like yeah. you're willing to take on a season of those guys. If you can get 22 points per game from Christian McCaffrey, like that's worth probably more than most dynasty running backs. That's worth more than paying a first for Kenneth Walker or JK Dobbins, you know, like, cause you kind of know those guys are what they are. I don't know if they have anything close to that ceiling. So, so you're going to go two on the, hall. He's going to be your second round I'm, running back. I'm going to go two on hall, but, the You're Jets have kind of said, like, you know, it's funny when the rumors about Ezekiel Elliott wanting to go to the Jets, you remember that back in free agency when he got cut, uh, Brees Hall tweeted to Michael Carter and he said, there's no room in this backfield for Zeke, right? So he specifically tagged Michael Carter, like, that's the running back two on the team. Hmm. They still have Zahneman Knight. They had to draft Izzy Abanacanda. So I think the Jets are kind of setting up, like, we don't want to load Brees Hall up in year two. We probably aren't going to based on, even if he comes back from his injury, do you really want to load him up exactly how he was last year when Michael Carter was still getting like 11, 10 touches a game when Brees Hall was at his peak? So I, I, I think relative to the player pool, whoever the RB2 is, is weaker than it has ever been compared to the high-end receivers and quarterbacks. So yes, yeah, someone by default has to be RB2, but if you have Brees Hall in a league, can you go get A.J. Brown, Garrett Wilson, C.D. Lamb? It, person just is like, ah, man, I'll, I'll find cheaper running backs. I'll find a better way to fill my running back stable than giving up elite quarterbacks or elite receivers to get Brees Hall. So just relative to the player pool, he's way further down than he used to be. If you're in a, uh, if you're in a existing league and you know, most people in your league, they look at, you know, all the different rankings around the industry, they'll see Brees Hall ranked as the number two running back. I think Brees Hall is a good opportunity in a super flex league to go get, you know, to give your first round pick and get Trevor Lawrence and then, or give Matthew Stafford and Brees Hall and get, you know, Justin Herbert or something like that, where you take your 20th quarterback, add him to Brees Hall, get an elite quarterback. That's another way that I've been doing. I think last year, the exact trade I made was Hall and a first for Lamar Jackson when he was injured for multiple weeks. And, you know, it didn't feel great at the time. It feels pretty good now. And just before we continue on, Scott, I want to let everybody know the ultimate fantasy football draft can take place in Las Vegas at Circa Resort and Casino. And they want to bring your whole league to Vegas for the ultimate draft. Bring your whole 12-person league for a two-night stay at Circa Resort. And you'll get a cabana up at the stadium swim. They'll limo you from uh, the airport, a welcome party at the Legacy Club, a booth at the world's largest sports book, a prize package of over $8,000. There's no better place to draft than Circa 21 and up. Go to CircaLasVegas.com for more information. I mean, I have just told everyone that I'm in leagues with, Scott, just enter this contest. I can't enter it, but I can be in a league that enters it. I mean... You're going to be in Vegas. They're going to give you the treatment, have your draft there. So if anyone's listening to this, go to Circa Las Vegas, man. It's why not? Just put your your league name in there. And if you, it's a random drawing. You don't have to buy anything. And imagine getting the uh, the, the the cabana treatment, the you know the bottle service, the whole deal, man. So it, it's a must do. Yeah, I'm just picturing my uh, my home <laughs> league and this selling them on actually going to Vegas when uh, it's, I, I can't even get them to go out and watch games on Sundays because right. they all have kids and been in a league for I'm sure you're in a couple of those leagues where you've been in them forever and it's like it's still a 10 team one QB league with eight starters and a kicker <laughs> and a defense and I'm just like can we evolve and it, it's just like radio silence all year until we get a week before the draft and everybody's scrambling but I yeah. I can just picture that group going hey yeah this year we're drafted in Vegas and there's going to be a party and <laughs> yeah that I just picturing that in my head as you're reading the ad. Not, not happening, right? Well, listen, you're visualizing it. It's a great idea because uh, you know we went to for Rotowire. We went to Vegas last year and we did a draft there. It's it's wild, man. People are getting crazy. It's uh, they do treat you really well there. So check it out, man. And uh, and I, I like that you're having visualization of these people that you could barely get them to do anything. All of a sudden, you know, everyone trekking out there. That's great. All right, I'm here with Scott Connor, and we're talking about uh, we, we were going to we were talking about dynasty strategy, uh, but I promised everyone, especially with the titling of this we're going to talk about some stashes before taxi squad stashes before we get back into some strategy talk so 
you know what? I, I think it's a really valuable piece of advice, uh, your philosophy on what happens when you get into the third round. And I, I love the, I'm going to quote you here because I thought this, you know, you hear about some wide receiver on a podcast, you get really excited to draft this guy. And basically now you've, you've clogged up your roster. So let's start with just a strategy. Once you, everyone loves the, the top 15, 16 players. So once you get into the third round of these rookie drafts, What's the right way to draft? Because sometimes I see a receiver I like better than a running back, but after listening to what you said, I'm not so sure which direction I can go here. Well, I think the first thing is before you just make picks based on the ADP or because we all we are all in a lot of leagues and sometimes you're on the clock in multiples and you're trying to work trades and try to do other stuff at the same time and we get into just pick, 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 pick. You got people in the chats going, Hey, you're on the clock, Alan, pick, pick, you know. OTC. Yeah. OTC. And so you get it. And and I've done it. I last week I was in 21 drafts at one time and I'm trying to track all of them. And it's like, sometimes you do just end up kind of picking to pick, you know, I don't have the energy at 11 AM in the morning when I'm multitasking to go work three trades in the group me or the Slack chat while I'm trying to, you know, work and do my other stuff at the same time. So pick with purpose. I think that's the first thing is before you make this pick, what is the out for the player? Uh, and I'll give two examples of that. Uh, what's your roster construction look like? Most of my teams, if you listen to my content, are set up to embrace the variance at running back. Uh, Jordan McNamara, if you've listened to him, he goes even he's more on, extreme to me. He's been on this podcast many times. Yeah. So he's, a, he's a favorite of the Rotowire audience. Yeah, he's good. And we don't see eye to eye on everything. And he goes even more to the extreme with me. But what he talks about with warp and with flex viability, if you're just talking like PPR leagues, the the most dominant way to win the flexes is with receivers within a certain threshold. So like we were talking about earlier, if you're in a start 11 or start 12 and you can throw in the wide receiver fours and fives and randomly you'll get a 22 point week out of like Josh Palmer. He wouldn't have been in your lineup in a start eight, start nine. If anything, he kills you in a start nine because you see the 22 points and then you play in the next week and he scores five and you're pissed off because you're going, well, I can't predict when he's going to hit. And that's most receivers outside of the top 10 or so. So I think it's the pick with purpose, know your format, have your roster construction set up a year or two in advance to take advantage of this. Uh, most of my teams are. So when I'm getting to the third and fourth rounds, my strategy is is more when I say pick with purpose, if I'm going to draft and, and I'm, I'm as guilty as everybody of buying a little buzz on some players every once in a while. I preach, hey, roster clogger receivers, don't draft receivers outside the top 40 but there's been a couple exceptions. I have a couple shares of Keishon Boutte. I have a share of Tank Dell. Like, but when I clicked pick on Keishon Boutte, the theory was, okay, he's sitting there at the 402 in the rookie draft. It wasn't because I am forecasting Keishon Boutte to be successful or ever be within that usable wide receiver threshold. It's There's probably somebody that will give me at least a third or two thirds if there's ever a window to sell him. So that's the pick with purpose, right? I'm drafting a roster clogger receiver or a developmental tight end with a purpose. Other than that, your pick should be, all right, what can I do with this pick now? Does it fit my roster construction? Which is why I would take a bunch of running backs. I don't care if they're fifth, sixth, seventh round picks. A guy like Dwayne McBride or Chris Rodriguez has a better shot of being in my lineup in a start 10 than Charlie Jones or A.T. Perry. I mean, just realistically, both of them are way outside of startable range. But if I could ever see a path where one time during this year, I go, you know what? Chris Rodriguez is going to start this week and he might get 18 carries. I could probably be starting him in a start 10. So I think it's that or picking with the point of trading. And then the most underrated thing that I've found this year is you don't have to make a pick and don't be so arrogant to think that you have to get a massive haul for that pick on the clock. If I'm at the 212, 211 in a rookie draft, even the 208, 209, and I don't want to pick because the format doesn't warrant me making a pick, or more importantly, in the third round, and I don't want to pick, trade that 309 for a future third. Mm. If you know your league is one of those leagues where, and I'm in some really active leagues where every week people are going, oh man, this backup quarterback or this backup running back on the block for a third, get him off my roster, you know, give me some draft capital instead. That third's probably better used during the season to say, can I throw that third into a deal, trade an injured player and a third for a player that's playing? Something like that where I can actually buy points in the season. 
versus picking between seven running backs that went round six and later and hoping I know which one is going to ascend the depth chart and give me a spot start or two. And we never used to be like that. It used to be, Alan, if I'm trading you a 212, you need to give me two seconds. Right. Because I have to wait a year to make the pick. And really, I don't have to wait a year. The whole reason to have that pick is it's actually more valuable to have the future pick. And a lot of times people know that. Smart leagues will look at the board and go, I'm not giving you a future second for that 210. I don't want to pick. You don't want to pick. I don't want to pick. I'd rather have my pick during the season. So I think it's understanding the purpose of your pick and realize that when you're picking in the third and fourth rounds, I mean, what are the hit rates on the players? Five, 10%. You're lucky if you get a two week window. I mean, that's what it is. When you draft a couple years ago, you're taking Khalil Herbert in the fifth round of your rookie draft. I always said, if I could use this guy for two weeks, that is a massive, if I could use him for one week during the season, it was worth the pick, right? Because that one win is the difference between how many times between you making the playoffs as the sixth spot or just basically being in the in, in the draft lottery, right? So that's what I think you're looking for. And you talked about Chris Rodriguez is that guy this year. I mean, and, and think about this. In a, when you're in really, really deep, really deep leagues, 13, 14 starters, it's different. But how many leagues were... 10, 11 starters, can you remember a receiver that was a fifth or sixth round pick that you went, oh man, I there was that two-week window when I just knew he was going to smash. I mean, can like you it, even it's name rare. I, I don't know if I can ah. name one. I'm trying to think, was there one? Well, in, you could probably go back and find a couple and but say, okay. Head. Top of head. Is there now, one? Right. Honestly, not really. The only one I can think of is Hunter Renfro, who was a fifth round pick. But even then, and here's the funny thing, even if... And that's why, you know, when we did that uh, Sonic Truth show where we did the mock draft, I kept saying, you know, why are we drafting these guys that, you know, e- even the, the the panel would be like, yeah, this guy might get third or fourth round draft capital. He's a receiver. Why are you drafting him if he gets fourth round draft capital? The funny thing about that is if you do hit, because you would agree, there's some uh, intriguing receivers that went in late round two, round three this year. Jalen Hyatt, Rasheed Rice, uh, Jaden Reed, Mims. Marvin Mims, Josh Downs, like all yeah. I want to have exposure to those guys, but here's the funny thing. If Josh Downs goes out and posts 70 catches as a rookie, we're going to be like, dude, he was a hit. He's probably, he moves into like that startable threshold the next year because he had such a strong rookie year. But you're also going to be able to buy into him at a cheaper price than you will if Jordan Addison has the same season because he was a third round pick and he doesn't have that same pedigree. So I'm not even really afraid to pass on the Marvin Mims or the Rasheed Rices or the Jaden Reeds. And I, I acknowledge probably one or two of those guys is going to get into the top 30, top 36 receiver range right. at some point. But I don't know who it is, right. but I also know that because they didn't get the capital, they're going to be attainable. You know, if Quentin Johnson or Jordan Addison goes out and has 80 for a thousand, two Unt- firsts. Untouchable. Top, exactly. top three round startup pick. And so are you suggesting the people to take the tank bigs bees of the world, yes. those type of players over those second round wide receivers? Correct. Yeah. I mean, in especially the way that I'm playing, but even if not, I, I think that you have to make a list. Now I wouldn't take Chris Rodriguez or Dwayne McBride no. or Evan Hall over the second and third round receivers. But when you're talking Roshan Johnson, tank bigs, me Devon, a chain, Kendra Miller, even Tajay Spears from an equity standpoint, forget about long-term value. Cause I don't think we draft any running backs in that range for more than a two to three year window max. So I don't care about the Spears injury, but it's kind of like those feel like quicker equity in terms of in my lineup, but it also feels like I'm getting a little bit more potential long-term use out of my pick, which is weird because people would say receivers last longer. The elite ones, uh, but the elite young ones. Here's the ones. thing. Good, good receivers last longer. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Average receivers immediately clog your team to where you go. I mean, you were, I was looking at a roster the other day. It's a pretty well-known analyst in uh, the dynasty space. I won't say who it is, but I looked at his roster and it's 30 man rosters. He has 18 receivers on his roster and it is just littered with second, third and four year receivers that are in the Josh Downs, Marvin Mims range. I mean, we're holding, LaVisca Chenault and Rondale Moore and Sky Moore. I mean, they're, they're Wandale Robinson. They're, they're just collected. Mm. And I'm going like, what are you going to do with all these guys? Because he, the person's not actively trying to like flip them for second round picks or running backs. They're just sitting there and I'm going like, what, what is the out? If you have those guys on your team, 
What are you hoping for? You're just hoping they get to like usability, but what are they costing you in time? Just sitting on your team when you probably could have been cycling like the Jordan McNamara approach. He'll cycle through 20, 30 running backs in a season. And it's like, those are guys you can flex in the moment during a week when you know they're going to get touches. You're never going to know on most of those receivers. So it's, it's really a hierarchy or a hierarchy uh, strategy of how you're building your team, which affects these rookie picks. It affects how you would approach the second, third, fourth round of a draft. Yeah, we had a question in the chat that we already answered. Someone asked about, is it Bush League to put elite rookies on taxi squad? Scott already answered that. He said, no, that's smart dynasty play. I what Did I speak? Did I... Do you think like if you're a bad team and you want to tank, putting Bijan on your taxi squad is is fair game? I believe it is. It if it doesn't say in the bylaws that I can't do it, then but how would you even construct that sentence? Like it, it it would have to say something about how if a player has scored X amount of points or has a certain. I mean, it, you'd have to have a criteria, right? You you couldn't really police. Okay, Alan, you can't put Bijan on there, but I'm allowed to put Rasheed Rice on the taxi. You know, right, like but- you. you yeah, it's either all or nothing. So I think it just – that's why you don't have a taxi if you don't want people to exploit it pretty we, much. Yeah, we have a, a rule in our, our leagues that to to avoid tanking, this is what works. Some people hate this, but in the leagues that I commission, the bottom six teams just go into a complete lottery, not a weighted lottery, Scott. We just do one through six because the team that's the, the worst one and the team that's team five or six, they're not that different, you know? And if they are, I mean, that's by their – usually by their own doing. So – um I would say like, you know, just a complete lottery, you know, sometimes regression will give you the one, one, sometimes it'll give you the one, six and some people hate it, but that's just how we do it to make it. And, and we also incentivize weekly winning with a $25 prize or 25, you know, whatever you're depending on what your pool size is uh, to incentivize winning each week. So even if you're out of it, you know, that tanking doesn't get you the, the one, one, but you can somehow variance wise get the $25 each week. So. It's either that or you can also do um, – I have quite a few leagues where you actually play for your draft picks. So there's a consolation tournament, and it's literally like a bracket. The, the worst two teams get a bye, so they should, mm. in theory, they, they don't get pick outside the top four. But, you know, you, you got to plan to win those matchups to yep. get the 101, 102, and that correlates nicely with not having a trade deadline. Because yeah. it gives everybody a reason to play for something all the way through the season. So I like both of those to – not make it so if you just purposely suck, you get the 101. Right. Let's talk about some more taxi squad stashes. You mentioned uh, the Washington football team, or what do they call it? The Commanders, Chris Rodriguez. How about Eric Gray on the Giants, uh, Deuce Vaughn? Any interest in stashing those guys? I mean, it, super late round picks. What was Gray, like a, a fifth and Deuce Vaughn a sixth or a seventh, something like that? Or, or, so if you're faced with one of those guys versus Boutte, who you do value as a wide receiver, um, I guess juxtapose those first and then just talk about those two running backs as stashes if you're not faced with that decision. We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. So the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Yeah, I really like the uh, the Eric Gray, Chris Rodriguez, Evan Hall range of running Hull's backs. Going where he, earlier though, Hall's going almost full round yeah, he, earlier now. He's yeah. been pushed up. Uh, there's a few others like that went in the seventh. Like I mentioned, Dwayne McBride earlier. Lou Nichols is another one. And and here, I don't even really care about whether you like the player or not. It's more of I want to see how the depth chart plays out. Any running back that's drafted, we're starting to see this kind of erosion of draft capital for running backs where. 
you've probably heard it before. Like the, the, the round three and round four now is like the new round two and round three from before. So it's like a fifth round pick in the NFL is a pretty significant investment for a running back compared to what it was like five years ago. So it's like any running back that got draft capital, I want to add over most of those receivers, unless the caveat being I get a Boutte or a Tank Dell or somebody where I go, there's a window where I can sell them or I can sell them for multiple running back bodies, which is another strategy. And I think that's another thing that's been lost on some of these picks is you don't have to draft Evan Hall. Mm. I made a trade the other day where I ended up getting back Pierre Strong and Tyrion Davis Price instead of drafting Dwayne McBride. Now, you might go, I'd prefer Dwayne McBride because neither of those guys did anything last year. But reality, they're all in the same spot, right? They're all like the third running back or fourth running back on their team. They have to win a spot. They're the same thing. So give me two shots instead of one. It's essentially operating under the same philosophy. Yeah. I was going to ask you if Michael Wilson, the uh, the wide receiver on the Arizona Cardinals, is he in that, hey, I'll take a shot on him uh, round four range with Dell and Boutte? Or is he just another one of these light him on fire probabilities is Cody in my league (laughs) (laughs) if Cody's in my league or no to be honest with you I won't draft him unless there's a path in my league where I go you know what I can probably get two-thirds for this player and at the and I make the pick at the 308 or something like that I can get two-thirds down the road like yeah that's the only time I'm really taking the receivers and same for some of the running backs like I've ended up taking some Sean Tucker even though he's a UDFA people like him yeah like there's a reason he's getting drafted over guys that got actual draft capital. And it's because he's a name. So, I mean, you do have to kind of consider when you get to these late picks, the power of the resell because of the name is actually higher than what the potential benefit is of the player themselves. So if you get to the end of the draft and you're like, I don't know who to pick, you know, what player does the most people in your league know about? That's the guy to draft. Yeah. So, you come from the Debbie space, right? I mean, that's you, you have your, you're firmly in those trenches right there. So is that why Zach Evans is getting pushed up because he was a Debbie darling, so to speak? I don't know if that's a derogatory term nowadays to call someone a Debbie darling. You see people on social media say that like, Oh, he was a Debbie darling. You know, that's what Boutte was also, right? I mean, that's, but now the price is right on him. You're not having to pay that, but Zach Evans, you're going to have to spend the rookie running back on the Rams. Uh, you're gonna have to spend a third round pick. Is that someone that you're interested in or in that range? Is that a little pricey? So is he a taxi squad stash or is he an active go get him for you? Yeah, I think uh, Sean Tucker, Zach Evans, Kayshawn Boutte, those three have been on the radar. They've been on the Devi radar since they were freshmen and people know the name and there are people you listen to other content. There's still people out there going, Zach Evans is a top six running back in the class. They, they've moved the goalposts from top two or three until okay it was a sixth rounder that went to the rams we definitely can't say two or three now we got to move that down a little bit but because he's a running back and because he has that you know name cachet going for him that that's like two of the three paths i would look for to want to draft him so i've taken more zach evans than i ever planned on like saying i'm taking a six round running back in the third round that usually wasn't on the radar before that's usually not a good bet but i think for this season because it dies off so quickly, I think that strategy is becoming more equitable. So, yeah, that definitely Zach Evans is one I've taken more than I thought. <clears throat> Excuse me. I'm with Scott Connor from Destination Debbie. Follow him at Charles Chill FFB. What is that? What's Charles Chill? What is that? Oh, so Charles is my middle name. Okay. And that's what uh, I got, was my nickname for when I was in high school. And <laughs> okay. one said I was the most chill person. So they just said Charles Chill. I love And it. then FFB, obvious. So Fantasy haven't changed book. it in a decade. <laughs> right. It's like, you know, you see some people with their with their Twitter handles. You can tell that they're older by the, and they've built a following. So it's, you know, they have to leave it there. Mm-hmm. So uh, what podcast do you listen to? Do you do you as a content creator now? Do you have a couple appointment podcasts that you like that you could tell people that they should check out that are not yours, obviously? Yeah, I mean, I try to. So I'm the podcast guy. I listen to about 30 hours of podcasts a day. Three X speed. I, I just three X speed. That's chipmunk level, man. It is. It is 3x speed. It allows me. And here's the thing. I only probably retain about 10 to 20% of it. But all it takes is I'm listening to a show. It's an hour long show. If I get one or two things out of that show that triggers my mind and it keeps a memory for me to go back a couple hours later and look into something that's beneficial to me. And a lot of times I just enjoy listening to it because we're junkies. We're degenerates in terms of like if you're talking about Dynasty or NFL I'm interested for the most part all the time. I will say this. What's made me a better content creator is listening to 
NFL stuff. Mm. I, I try to listen to all the dynasty shows out there. I probably don't listen to every episode because a lot of the dynasty content is the same stuff we're talking about all the time every week anyway. So what do you um, think, what do you think separates it then? Like what, if, if everything's the same, what do you think makes a successful in your eyes? Cause everyone's going to see it a little differently, a successful dynasty or something that might attract you to a podcast. I think it's where it depends on where you're at in your dynasty career. Like Where's if you're, you yeah, for me, it's probably, I'm really interested in strategy discussions like this kind of show. I'd be interested in finding somebody that came on and they're talking through their process. I don't need them to tell me, what to do i'd rather them tell me what they're doing and why they're doing it then i can use my mind to say okay that kind of makes sense that maybe i want to tweak it or try something on my own uh strategy stuff game theory stuff like how to kind of out because here's the thing the dynasty space i've been doing dynasty content for this is my sixth year doing dynasty content but i've also noticed that there is and you may have noticed this too the edge in terms of information in a moderately sharp league is gone I'm I'm not going to go get something done or make a trade or make a move because half the people in my league don't know what's going on. Most people know what's going on. And if they don't, a simple Twitter search or Google search within a minute, they can figure out, okay, why is this player trending? Or why is everybody trying to sell this player right now? Like it's not that hard to figure out. So I think the edge in more is high level strategy and actually playing your opponents in your league, knowing your league, what are they thinking? How are they thinking? How can I pivot or zig when they're zagging in, in that specific league? Not across all my leagues, because a lot of them are different. But I think playing the psychology of your opponents is better and a bigger edge now than just saying, I know information you don't. And more importantly, I can pick players better than you. Mm-hmm. With sites like Player Profiler and all the other places that put out actual like player-centric content, I'm not any better at picking players than you especially when we're picking in the tiers of, you know, six receivers that went in round two and three, I, I, that's not an edge for me. Right. And you're lying. If you say it's an edge for or you, if you, even if you are the one creating the website, it's not necessarily an edge for you. Cause there's how many people using that same site against you. So I just don't think the edge is in picking players. I think it's in hierarchy strategy and uh, playing the psychology of your opponents. I started the dynasty podcast on RotoWire because I, you know, like you, I listen to 30 plus hours of podcast week and I would, you know, I just feel like sometimes with content creation, I, I could always tell right away if somebody plays in leagues, a lot of leagues or not. And I'm like, you know, trade back from the 102 to the 103. That's not happening, you know, unless you, you really, or actually maybe this year there's a tier break there, but in, in normally, you know, if you get to pick seven, you know, this year people are saying, trade back. Nobody's doing that. Like you said, information is is uh, like paper towels. It's a commodity. Everybody knows. I remember the days where you can go to Roto-Wire or Roto-World and you have the edge uh, of information. Now it's like sleeper notification. Oh, okay. Two minutes later, I got a, a trade offer trying to, you know, to buy Alexander Madison because everyone in the world knows that Dalvin Cook now is unlikely to be on the roster. That happens all the time. Scott, a couple other questions before I let you go here, because I'm genuinely interested. You're a fascinating guy. I, you know, I'm glad I heard you for the first time recently, and I'm embarrassed by that that I hadn't heard before when you were on Matt Kelly's show. Now I'm a, I, I, your content is appointment for me. I, I love listening to you and the stuff you do, uh, and I advise anyone that's listening to this podcast. We get a lot of newer dynasty players or people have been doing it for five years. Follow Scott. I mean, if, if you want to, it, it's a totally different type of discussion, and all of your links are in the description below. It, that's a no-brainer for me, one of my favorite follows. Uh, that said, now, um, what is uh, what got you from Dynasty Player into the content thing? Because for me, like I said, it was like infuriating for me to listen to podcasts. I had questions for podcasters, so I just started inviting them onto my podcast. They asked them these questions. So what was the transition for you to start creating the content? Yeah, it's interesting. I uh, So I linked up with Ryan McDowell and Curtis Patrick back in 2017, and they started something called Dynasty Command Center, which is now defunct. It's part of Rotoviz now, but uh, it was just a community. It was the first Dynasty community I had been in because I had played for about four years. And back, you know, when you when I started playing back in 2012, 2013, Dynasty was all over. I mean, there, there were ESPN leagues and Yahoo leagues and they were poorly run and there was very little information out there. Like there was some, but it wasn't as concise as it was today. So I joined this community. It was like, you know, 2017, it's like a 
groundbreaking community because it's like a chat where everybody's in there just talking dynasty. And I learned so much in a year and I was so active that they were like, yeah, you want to come on and be like one of our staff writers or our moderators for the community. And it had, you know, three, 400 people in there. And at that point I was like, okay, like I'm able to kind of like take information that I'm reading and listening. And that's when I started getting into listen to podcasts and reading articles and all that kind of stuff. Like, I guess one of my skills is I can take the information and articulate it into something that's actionable for the masses. So I just kind of jumped into it, started my own podcast in 2018, jumped on some podcasts with those guys. And then that's how my content creation started. It have just grown from there. Uh, but I will say this, I think that one of the other things that's really cool about content creation is makes you a better just communicator in general in life. Uh, I, I work a career outside of fantasy football that 95% of my job is judged on 5% of how I present information. It's like, I can do a great job, but if I go and do a presentation in front of all the higher ups and that's going to be what they're going to know me for, I need to be well-spoken. So at the same time, I got into doing Toastmasters. I run a Toastmasters club, helps you work on public speaking and communication and evaluating others. So I have, I think, a pretty keen eye to listen to somebody and be like, yeah, they know what they're talking about. Or they're articulating in a way that other can other people can absorb it and learn from it. So it's a, it's an evolving thing. And I just love jumping on shows and just talking about this because how easy is it to talk about stuff you already love doing? Right? Like it, it, it comes naturally. People always go, I'm scared of public speaking. And it's like, yeah, you're scared of public speaking when your boss comes in and tells you you have to give a presentation and you have no idea about what the topic is. But when you say, hey, tell me about your family, most people can speak pretty eloquently about that because they know it. It's in their heart. They love it. And I think that's kind of where Dynasty is. And if you have that gift and you love it, like why not do podcasts? Why not host radio shows or create content? Like it just seems like if you like doing both, put it together and people get a lot out of it. And the barrier for entry now, there's no excuse, right? Like everyone None. can pay, pay the, there's a free stream yard and there's, you know, I mean, it, it, just even from when I started just being into fantasy, the same, I'm uh, sorry, dynasty, the same time you're talking about, like it, it was work to download a podcast from iTunes onto your thing. Like you had to upload it, download it. Now it's just, you know, so it, it, there's, it's definitely more of a flooded marketplace now, but I think that the, you know, it, that's good. I like that. There's a lot of choices. It's not that hard to sift through. Um, what was your most nostalgic football memory? Like what got you, like when did you know as a kid that you were just like hooked into it? Was it a real game? Was it a video game? Like, you know, were you, what's the nostalgia moment that connected you to football? All right. So I'm going to go back. I'm a huge Bengals fan. I went to my first Bengals game back in 91 and that was when they played, they played the Cowboys and that's when the Cowboys were good. And the Bengals were, uh, let's just say very bad. This is Boomer uh, Siasen so Bengals. Uh, right, right after. So I believe it was the start of the 92 season was when the game was. And it was right when Dallas had the triplets and the Bengals were terrible. Uh, they went on to be bad for like a decade straight after that. Uh, but that was my first game. That was like the first time I really was like, all right, I'm into pro football, but here's the memory. So it was 20, 2001. I'm at the second to last game of the Bengals season. They're playing the saints. And the Bengals are one and 13 and in the stadium, you know, there's paper bags overheads and everything, but they were pretty sure they were going to get the number one pick in the draft. And it was Carson Palmer. And I remember being at the game and it was, of course it's half full and the saints were in the playoff ricks. Uh, Aaron Brooks with their quarter was their quarterback. If you remember Aaron Brooks, but the saints were like a 500 team. They were in the, the hunt for the playoffs that year. And I'll never forget being at the game. This was my first like live game as like an adult where I could actually see it. The first one I went to, I was, you know, seven, eight years old. So I don't really remember it that much, but I'm at the game. I'm sitting in front with my dad behind these saints fans. And they are, you know, I have my Bengals Jersey on and they're going like, yeah, the whole time they're just barking how the Bengals are horrible. The worst franchise in the league. And I mean, they weren't wrong uh, going, uh, you know, you're going to ruin Carson Palmer. You're going to ruin his career. He's never going to get off the ground. And I'll never forget. My dad and I are sitting there and my dad just is not a confrontational person or anything like that. But these people just won't shut up. Right. And the Bengals actually end up winning the game, which was hilarious because the saints were good and they sucked, but they actually right. won their second game that season. But I'll never forget. My dad turns around after this guy's heckling us for like a half hour 
He's like, dude, you have a Heath Schuler jersey on, and you're sitting here talking about heckling a team about to draft a quarterback early. And at the time, I'm going like, what is he talking about? But if you remember, Heath Schuler was a huge bust for the Saints. And the guy sitting there. All-time bust. Yes, yeah, yeah, like really high draft pick, absolute bust, was a great quarterback at Tennessee. But they're sitting here heckling us with a Heath Schuler jersey on while their team is losing to the 1-13 and Bengals. That's my first memory of like, all right, I love football. That's where I got the the feeling in my heart as a fan. Like, and that's where like the fandom came in. And once the fandom's there, then you're looking for other avenues to to play fantasy football, gambling, all that kind of stuff. But that's where it started. Your dad experienced a real life Twitter troll in an analog form, yes. right? <laughs> yes, absolutely. Scott, I kept you longer than I said I would, but I have one more question for you. All right. And I'm gonna put you on the spot because you had no idea this question was coming. So and if, if there's no answer, you want to think about it, you could brush it aside, it's fine. But if you could change, if you were the commissioner of the NFL and could change one rule in the NFL to make it better, and again, no one can may agree, they may not agree, but what's a rule change? If it's small, big, doesn't matter, overtime rule, just a tiny tweak, something that you would change to make the NFL better or just different. Man, it's funny because Matt and I, when we were on the show, we talked about this for like 20 minutes because it was right after the Super Bowl and talked about, you know, the pass interference and defensive holding. Can we make that reviewable? Would that destroy the game? Man. You, you, while you're thinking about it, you want me to? Uh, I'll give you one that I've thought because I prep. Yeah, so I, I have know. a I have a vague idea, but okay. yeah, give me yours. Okay, so you know how like when you're on your say your four yard line and you get a a holding penalty, and what's the penalty for that, Scott? Uh, you're going back ten. No, no, you're on your own four yard line. Oh yeah, you're only going back two yards. Right, yeah. half the distance. Horrible rule. What they should do is take the first down marker and move it away ten yards. So you're still, you like that? I mean, why is it only a two? Why is it only a two-yard penalty? It's a ten-yard penalty. The first down marker should be ten yards further down the field when you're inside the five or inside the ten, whatever it is. I love that. You're in on this. You're in. It. it, You know, it's funny thinking about stuff like that. (laughs) I always am the one that are sitting in the game, going, I can't remember what game it was this year, but a team kept taking a penalty on purpose, and the other team kept declining it. And I go, well, what happens if they just literally never stop? What happens if the defense just literally goes and lines up offsides on every single game-winning extra point? What happens? At some point, somebody's going to have to just, the refs are going to have to step in and go, we're going to override the official NFL rules to get this game over. And I think there's a lot of circumstances like that where, sure, is it bad sportsmanship? Yeah, but the scenario isn't accounted for, and somebody would have to go in and just change the rules on the fly. So I think giving... Uh, my 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 answer was going to be more towards reviewing penalties. I like that too. There's there's a conversation to be had there, good and bad. But the problem is, if you make every penalty reviewable, you are starting to get into things where it's going to draw the viewer into like we're reviewing this holding call, and you're trying to see if you get a good angle of it. Like that yeah. to me, I want some of the human element into it. But I also believe, uh, like Mike Florio talks about this all the time, and he doesn't understand why the NFL doesn't do it. They start to do it. They started to do it last year, but he goes, why don't we have an eighth official mm. with whistle power? Not just an eighth official in the booth, but an eighth official with whistle power. However, that is translated, whether there's somebody on the field that's blowing it on their behalf or whatever, an eighth official with whistle power looking at all the angles that they're looking for when they're reviewing the place. And that's yep. the official's job. Maybe it's two. Maybe it's two officials, but the official isn't on the field, which means they're not right. distracted by the weather conditions, the players, the crowd, or anything. They are literally just looking at all the angles of stuff that you're supposed to be catching on the field that replay takes. And it's just like, why? Why can't we do that? Because there's a lot of times where penalties happen in real time. You can't see it. But if you're like watching that. the game, you're going like, yeah, that was defensive holding. The dude pushed off, or that was pass interference. You know, and then they can't review those type of things. And it's maddening when something like that changes a game. Yeah, and and the whistle power key is the key part of that. Uh, yes. I love that one. So th- I think you know it would have to be a com- an odd number. It can't be two because if they disagree, it'd have to be one or three, yeah. right? It'd have to be like uh, so. So there's the veto power there. The other one is uh, just quickly, and then we'll wrap up here. Is uh, if if a regular season game ends in a tie, both teams get a loss. There's no ties anymore. So you're incentivized to win, not tie. I. I love that. I mean, as a Bengals fan, the, the <laughs> stuff with the Bills game last year yeah. and the coin flips and yeah. all that stuff, like 
to me, if I if my team ties, it's a loss. It's a loss. It's, it's a loss, loss. Yeah. because like you're not going to be able to make it up by playing. You're not going to get an extra game to make it up. Effectively, you're still going to have to win every game you would have had to won anyway. Yep. To finish ahead of the standings or wherever you were going to end up being. So yeah, I, I like that. That ties are horrible in the NFL. There's no reason for them. Scott, I appreciate you doing this, man. This was very enjoyable for me because, like I said, I, I've been listening to you for a short while, but very intensely. And I advise everyone to go follow Scott at Charles Chill FFB. Um, where where's it? Can everyone find your work? They should be following you if they're watching this. And again, all our video viewers, we appreciate you guys. But if you're listening on the audio podcast, which is where we get uh, the most of our, our our people consuming this content, I want you all to go follow Scott. Uh, where can they find you other than Twitter? So my two podcasts a week are on Destination Devi. So check out Destination Devi Radio uh, live stream every Tuesday night on Trades in Five eight thirty on YouTube. It's literally just Dynasty Trades and Dynasty Strategy for sometimes two and a half hours however, until we get done with the questions we usually go. Uh, but those two places, I still write occasionally for DLF uh, and then some other stuff in the wings. I, I do want to shout out anybody that plays uh, high stakes, FFPC or NFFC or a- anywhere where you play high stakes. I, I will be in Vegas. So this will be my fifth straight year going to Vegas. So if when you're out that? in Vegas, when is that uh, week, week opening weekend of the season when all the Vegas drafts are out there. So if anybody's out there, they want to catch up, they want to do a podcast or anything like that. Uh, let me know because uh, that's a nice place to gather. I won't be making it to the fantasy football expo this year, probably, mm-hmm. but uh, Vegas, if anybody's in that space, uh, let me know. All right, Scott, you've been generous with your time. Everybody, if you have any questions about any of the taxi squad stashes that we've talked about today, you can uh, DM Scott, ask him on Twitter, DM me, ask me about it. Until then, good luck in those rookie drafts. Let us know how you do. Don't, 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 don't,